the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday program. We finished or are finishing another week here on the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, whatever's on your heart and mind. We'll do the best that we can on this sort of chilly Friday. The week sure didn't end like any of us thought it was going to end at the beginning. It snowed last night. was quite a surprise with, when Paula and I were going to the gym and it's right in the same parking lot where our church is. Uh, we could see all the kids outside playing on the yard in the back, throwing snowballs at one another. Um, something I didn't think we'd ever see here in San Antonio, but that's what it was. Uh, lots of stuff going on, so let me get you the information you need to make your phone calls, and then we'll get right to the program. Our phone numbers are 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. But remember, it's always best when you call. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free uh, KSLR mobile app, the hands-free um, feature and you can be you'll be direct uh, connected directly to our studio producer uh because it's friday tonight we have church here i always love friday nights and tonight i get to teach a particularly fun study to teach for me it's acts chapter eight we're going to be teaching on philip and the ethiopian eunuch um the, the people that religion casts out jesus actually chases down that's the story tonight uh, and then we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, just one verse this Sunday, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, in our study on Sunday night. Two quick reminders, then we'll get right to your questions. December 15th, that's one week from tonight, is our children's Christmas play. And when I say children, it's all of our kids from the very, very young to the high school seniors um, at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. 6.30 in the evening is our start time. We'd love to have you come. Uh, what a great date night. What a great husband and wife night, family night. Bring your kids. Uh, they'll have a blast. So that's next Friday night, a week from today at 6.30 at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. Absolutely free. You will be blessed. And then a couple of days later, a week from Sunday, we have our annual Calvary Chapel Christmas dinner. Uh, we'd love to invite you there as well. That's going to be at 4 o'clock in the afternoon that Sunday at the Shirts Civic Center. Again, we would love to have you come. Okay, let me get to some questions that have been sent. 340-9585. Uh, my first question comes from Kelly. And he or she says, Was Jesus tempted sexually since the Bible says he was tempted in all ways as we are? Um, Kelly, I think one of the things we have to do is understand, to, to answer a question like this, we have to understand the nature of Jesus. 
Jesus was tempted by sin in all ways as we are, but it doesn't mean that he was tempted to sin. Here's the thing that we have to understand. Jesus, because he is God, he created God's plan for sexuality. So for Jesus to see somebody sexually um, um, misbehaving, to, to see somebody living in sexual sin, would have broken his heart. So to, to think that he was tempted like we are is sort of a misunderstanding. Um, Jesus would never be because there was no sin nature in him. Jesus would understand that sexuality was there to please God, and Jesus didn't come here to be a sexual being. He came here to fulfill the law and to die for the sins of the world. Yes, he was tempted by sin as we are, but it doesn't mean that every sin that we've ever been tempted with, Jesus was tempted by that sin. You see, when Jesus was tempted by sin, um, it was something that was not appealing to him. What appealed to Jesus was being obedient to his Father by finishing his course. And so he would see the sin, the temptation would be there, he would respond with the word of God. We know that because he responded three times to the devil himself when the devil tempted him in the wilderness. It is written, it is written, it is written, he said. So this, the, the, the specific temptations that Jesus faced were different than ours. But they were greater than ours. And I say that they were greater than ours because Jesus never gave in. We stop fighting temptation at some point. We give in to our temptations and we sin. Jesus only wanted to do the will of his Father. He knew that didn't include a wife. So for Jesus, he knew that sexuality was not part of his earthly mission. So I hope that makes sense, Kelly. He was tempted... um, by sin, but never tempted to sin, the theological term, or the discussion is about the the peccability or the impeccability of Jesus. Could he, or could he have sinned, or was it impossible for him to sin? The answer is, if Jesus could have sinned, he would have. And that's why, because in him is light, there is no darkness at all. There was no possibility of Jesus sinning. Was he tempted? Of course. You'd be tempted too. In fact, the only time that we read of Jesus making a plea to his father on his own behalf was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he asked that this cup pass from him. And when the father said no, three times the father said no, Jesus never complained. He didn't consider rebelling. Nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done. So yes, Jesus was tempted by sin, but not tempted to sin. And having said that, he was still tempted to a far greater degree than any human. So I hope that makes sense to you, Kelly. We need to be able to to, to depend on the power of God when we're tempted to sin, because we can sin, and knowing that should put us on guard. Kelly, thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. John wants to know, should Christians arm themselves for self-defense, or do you believe that would be a lack of faith? Uh, I I don't think there's a yes or no answer. Uh, Christians can arm themselves for self-defense. We're American citizens. We're not violating the law. So uh, those who are led to arm themselves or protect themselves uh, in matters of self-defense are more than than within their rights to do so. Uh, and that's not a lack of faith. You know, it's a, a little super spiritual. And, and when I say that, I mean falsely spiritual. When people say, well, if you really trusted God, you just trust Jesus. Well, Jesus himself told his disciples to, to get a sword. He knew life was going to be difficult. He knew it was going to be dangerous for them. He said, you know, before I go, Father, I've not lost any that you've given to me, except the one uh, who was doomed from the beginning of time, the son of perdition. But the others, I've not lost a single one. But what Jesus was saying to Peter when he told him to get a sword was now things are going to change. I'm not going to be here with you to protect you physically. And people are going to come after you, so prepare yourself. And we know that Peter took him to heart. Peter, in the garden, when the soldiers came to get him, the, the, the servant of the high priest, the man named Malchus, came, and Peter whipped out his sword and started whacking and got his ear. But the whole idea here is 
self-defense is okay. You can arm yourselves if you are so led. It is in no way a lack of faith. These are just different strokes for different folks. We're, we're all different people. We have different personalities, different likes, different dislikes. I have owned one gun in my life. I didn't own it for very long. Paula found it in the closet and made me get rid of it. But that was a long, long time ago. And I never liked guns. I don't like the noise. Uh, I don't like having to go out to the desert or wherever it is that we went to shoot them. And it just wasn't something that appealed to me. And yet some of the strongest brothers and sisters I know um, are weapons carriers. Um, they, 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 they hunt and they shoot for practice uh, and they enjoy it. So it's okay. It is not a lack of faith to try to protect yourself. In fact, I'm going to one step further, John. It's our obligation to protect ourselves and our families. You don't have to do it with a gun, but it's our obligation to protect our families for sure. So it's not a matter of faith. It's not a matter of should we or shouldn't we. This is something that we're all free to do. This is one of those things Romans 14, 23 says that anything not of faith is sin. So in fact, John, if um, you're okay with the gun, get it. Don't let anybody tell you it's a lack of faith. It's not. 340-9585. Here's a question from our email inbox from Michael. Pastor Ron, good day to you, and may God continue to bless you, Paula, and the church. Thank you, Michael. Regarding Ezekiel 38, uh, 1 through 9, who was Gog? Is this a war that's going to happen during the tribulation? Am I misreading this scripture? You're not misreading it, Michael. It is a war. Uh, Gog and Magog, those are the, the, the nations north. This is um, sort of old world um, names for what is now called Russia, um, where troops are going to invade. God is going to miraculously deliver Israel. Um, I believe, now there's difference of opinion on this, Michael, but I believe with all my heart that this is going to happen immediately following the rapture. Uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, I believe those events are going to happen immediately following the rapture of the church. I think the world is going to be in turmoil. The enemies of God's people, the enemies of God are going to, to uh, try to use any advantage that they have. And uh, I think this is a battle that we will never see, Michael, because we will be raptured. So uh, it's, it's, it's uh, an invasion that God will miraculously deliver his people from. Now, we've got examples of that already. All you have to do is go back to 1967 and 1973, and you see Israel surrounded overwhelmingly, uh, outmanned and outgunned, outweaponed. And yet a war that should have been decisive and brutally quick against Israel was decisively quick for Israel. And they won these wars in very, very short order because God was fighting for them. I think when we get to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, uh, those will be f more miraculous. They'll be evidently miraculous uh, deliverances where God will deliver his people, Israel. And somehow, Michael, that I can't really understand... Uh, the man that we know as the Antichrist will use this invasion and the, the failure of the invasion against Israel uh, as an opportunity to go to Israel and make world peace. So many of the, the Jews will be uh, frightened and terrified. Uh, the man of peace or the so-called man of peace uh, will be very persuasive and he will use that. But I believe that those are going to be uh, after the rapture of the church. So, Michael, I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Here is another question from our email inbox that came in anonymously. Since snow in San Antonio and the surrounding area is so rare, would you consider this a sign pointing to the end times? The greater number of fires in California also seem to point to things unusual. Anonymous, I think it's dangerous to take that approach. Uh, um, you know, I, last night I was praying for a little global warming, and it just didn't happen. Um, but, but you know, our climate has always gone through uh, different um, phases. Um, you know, the, the world says that the, the, the globe is, is heating up, and yet we, we are experiencing uh, severe winters everywhere. 
Um, so I, I don't. I, I just think it's a weather phenomenon. We're in a La Nina um, weather pattern right now, and that means that this particular winter is supposed to be a little more mild than than most. I don't know if that's the case based on what we experienced the last couple of days, um, but I wouldn't consider that as a sign pointing to the end. They also, I'd say the same thing about the number of fires. In fact, can I ask everybody to pray? Um, you know, there's so many people in danger uh, and have already lost so many things. Uh, um, our son, Terry, and his family are on evacuation standby. They live in Vista, California. And uh, Terry texted his mom last night to let him know that uh, that the fires were getting close. Uh, so far, I think everything's okay today, but uh, I would sure appreciate your prayers, uh, my son, my daughter-in-law, and my grandchildren are there in, in harm's way. But I don't think those things um, are pointing to the end times. I think uh, we could look at the recent decision regarding Jerusalem uh, being recognized as the capital of Jerusalem. That, I believe, is a sign of the times. Uh, I think we can see the unrest, uh, people groups going to war against people groups. Ethnos, the Greek word is nation against nation, but really it's more people, groups, or tribes. And we see that happening, and I think that is, uh, in and of itself, I'm sorry, I think that is, in and of itself, a sign um, that the end is getting nearer and nearer. Um, earthquakes, um, God has used earthquakes as signs throughout history. Um, they they may be a, a sign, but I don't think the the weather pattern or the number of fires. The one thing I would say, and I, I'm I'm always careful to answer this question because I don't want to be considered a sensationalist. I don't want anybody saying Pastor Ron thinks Jesus is coming next week. I don't want anybody to do that. Um, I'm committed as as I trust you and the listening audience are, is to serving Jesus with all of my heart until he comes or until I die and go to be with him where I really live. So uh, I, I don't think those things, uh, I, I don't think we, I think we can avoid the extremism of them. Now, having said that, um, I do think that the intensity of these natural disasters are going to continue to increase the closer we get to the return of Jesus. And I personally believe, and this is all this is, it's my opinion, my opinion is no better than yours, but I personally believe that uh, this is God reaching out to people, giving them another chance, trying to get their attention. So if we view it that way, it's not an alarmist sort of call, Jesus coming, the end of the world is at hand. But it's uh, the beginnings of birth pangs. All creation, Paul says, groans. And I think the world is going through a whole lot of groaning right now. I think anonymous one more issue is more important. And that's the issue of the condition of people in our hearts in these last days. I think that's the only thing that we need to really understand about the end of the age, and we're living in it. Paul says, Timothy, mark this, pay attention to it. In the last days, there will be terrible times, one translation. Another translation says perilous times. And then he goes on in Second Timothy to describe, this is chapter 3, he goes on to describe the times that we live in. People would be without natural affection. That's without the affection of a mother for a child. That's the Greek word picture will be lovers of themselves and not lovers of God. Boastful, arrogant. That's the time we live in, disobedient to parents. I mean, those are the signs that should get us all excited about two things. One, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is coming. But we should also be excited about winning souls, trying to keep people from being judged. So, uh, Anonymous, Jesus coming soon. I don't think we need to look at snow and and uh, fires as, as uh, signs. Maybe the intensity of these calamities, the hurricanes, the earthquakes, 
even the fires becoming more and more destructive. That I, I again, my own opinion is Jesus trying to get our attention, giving us a chance. Thank you, Anonymous. Let's go to San Marcos, Texas, and talk with Raul now. Raul, you're on the air. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I was scrolling through my computer the other day, and I went to Apostasy Watch. I don't know if you ever look at that site or not, but they had a picture of the Pope and Rick Warren, Joel Osteen, James Robinson, Kenneth Copeland, and four Mormon elders. And I heard you endorsing Rick Warren. I couldn't believe it, man. You claim to be a Christian, but how can you... Follow a guy like Warren. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He teaches a well, perverted thank, gospel, thank, just like all the rest of those guys. Thank you, Raul. I'll, I'll answer uh, while you listen off the air. Um, th- this guy calls, uh, uses different names from time to time, and I don't. Um, I, I would, I would appreciate more integrity. Uh, let me say this: I, I didn't endorse Rick Warren. I said he's a Christian. Um, I, I would not recommend people tuning in to or watching uh, uh, apostasy watch going online uh, I think many of these uh, self-proclaimed uh, apologists are are not apologists at all I think they're angry bitter people who have forgotten Jesus's command to love and while there is much about Rick Warren's ministry that uh, I would differ with in terms of opinion um, he is a brother in the Lord. It's that simple. And um, I, I think he is a gifted man. God has entrusted much to him. Uh, Rick Warren will stand before Jesus and give account of his ministry, so I don't have to. Uh, and while some of the people that you mentioned are clearly preaching a false message, unbelieving message, uh, Rick Warren has been so unfairly castigated uh, he's been taken out of context more than almost anybody. Is uh, again, his doctrine leaves some things to be desired. But I want you to think about something. Rick Warren has probably led more people to Jesus, the real Jesus, than our caller and me, and I could pick any other ten pastors. And who are we to question as long as his message is not heretical? And it isn't. Now, he's taken out of context, and I don't know why Rick Warren seems to be the Antichrist to so many of these apologists, these discernment ministry operators, but uh, he is not a heretic. He is um, orthodox in his Christian faith, uh, maybe a little unorthodox in some of the methods that he uses Um, But God is using him. Be careful about talking about a real brother in the Lord. It's okay to say I disagree with him on this or I disagree with him on this. But to slander his name means that you're calling out somebody who's going to be in heaven, somebody for whom Jesus died. And maybe next time you'll use your real name. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jackie. Um, Last caller mentioned Joel Osteen. Maybe Jackie's been reading Joel Osteen. She says, do you believe God wants us to have our best life here on earth as in being successful? Jackie, no. A thousand times no. I got to tell you, I love my life. I'm one of those guys that can honestly say every day is just a wonderful day. Now, I get tired and there's bad things that happen, but I love my life. I love my wife. I love my church. I love this radio audience. I love that what I do is meaningful. But if this is my best life, if this is better than heaven, I'm going to be really disappointed. So, no. And... Joel Osteen, he actually wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. It was one of his huge sellers, and it's full of lies. So, uh, no, God wants us to be obedient here. Uh, He doesn't care if we're successful. He cares that we are pursuing personal holiness. He cares that we're sharing the gospel message wherever we go. He cares that we our living lives as husbands and wives and employees and employers, as fathers and mothers, as sons and daughters. He cares that we live lives that bring him glory and honor. But he couldn't care 
at all about whether or not we're successful. In fact, I'm going to say uh, in my message this coming Sunday that God only cares that we are obedient, doing the will of the one who called us. And that, Jackie, is what success is. Success has nothing to do with money. Um, I'll also say Sunday that if somebody is successful, it's because God can trust them with his money and they're very generous with it and they're using it for his kingdom and for his glory. But this nonsense about being healthy, wealthy, and wise, uh, Jackie, read your Bible. Don't be influenced by words that are persuasive but biblically incorrect. Um Set your sights so much higher than success or things. Set your sights on Christ, who's seated at the right hand of God. That's when you'll find real success. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in this week. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. 340-9585. Eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. We'll be back on the other side in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program 340-9585 let's go to san antonio talk with greg on line one greg thanks for calling you're on the air yeah, Pastor Ron, uh, just want to I listen to you often. I uh, try to catch you in the morning, in the afternoon, and I really appreciate what uh, what you and your wife bring you know, to uh, to the radio. Thank you, Greg. And but I have a question. Uh, I heard your previous caller make issue about Rick, Rick, Rick Warren, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that he and, I, and I'm sure there were some others too. But for any you know, pastor or minister. Anybody that will align themselves with the Democrat Party, you know, I, I have a problem with that. I know Rick Warren had uh, Hillary speak at his church back when she ran as president the first time. And I just, I, I can't wrap my brain around somebody who, uh, you know, professes Christ, but is, or anybody that wants abortion. Well, and and I would agree with that that criticism, Greg, but but to be fair to Rick Warren, he had uh, debates there. He had uh, both the Republican candidate and the Democratic candidate, uh, or candidates, plural. It was in the, the, the primaries uh, uh, portion of it, and he felt he was doing a service um, uh, to his church just, just for providing information. It was uh, publicized on, I think, CNN. It was, it was carried. Um, uh, so um, I wouldn't have done it. I, I would never have somebody who was um, pro-abortion. Um, I wouldn't have them speak to my people. I would never give them a platform. But here's something that we really need to think about. Is it even possible that there are no Democrats who are real Christians? And the answer, of course, is no. Um, you know, we, we have um, a lot of flaws, uh, and I'm not uh, taking a political stance here, but, but whether you're conservative or liberal, right, uh, Republican or Democrat, uh, we've got a lot of, of, of hard searching to do on our own. And I think what we have to do is understand, and this is why I wouldn't have a political debate in my church, Greg, we've got to understand that whenever we stand up from a pulpit uh, and compromise God's word by shutting out the people who are the very object of God's ministry, um, then, then we've ceased to care about the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused. Um, again, I wouldn't have done it, and I said very clearly that there's a lot of things that I wouldn't have done. Rick Warren is not a Democrat. I know Rick a little bit. Uh, he's not a Democrat. He is certainly not pro-abortion. Um, but allowing Hillary or any other Democrat, and he had others there as well, uh, in his church who, who were, isn't 
doesn't constitute an endorsement of what they believe any more than um, having a Republican would, would constitute an endorsement of what they believe. And, and we who are Christians, who lean conservative by nature, that's what our Bible uh, leads us to do. We're conservative by nature. We're, we're fiscally responsible. We're socially responsible. We champion the life of the unborn. We are anti-drugs and, and, and anti-alternative um, lifestyles uh, b- because that's what the Bible teaches. But we need to remember that those other people, Greg, are the objects of God's love. They're the object of our ministry and not the enemy of our ministry. And I think we get so polarized, us against them, that we forget that the them, well, they're the ones that we're trying to reach with the message of Jesus Christ. Um, We have painted a picture in our church culture, and this is why many, many, many young people, scores of young people are leaving evangelicalism is because we've sort of painted a picture that you have to be a Republican in order to be saved. And that's just not true. Um, We expect people sometimes who aren't believers to act like and to think like they are. And that's just not uh, a reasonable position for us to take. So I'm not a, I'm, I, 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 I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that in my church. And so uh, I'm, I'm, one day I'll ask Rick what he was thinking. But uh, as of right now, Greg, that's the best I can do. Does that help at all? Well, kind of a little bit. But it's, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's still disturbing that anyone that claims to be a Christian would uh, you know, have these these. Uh, it's not so much their political stance; it's just their their view of life. Uh, that that you know, Jesus said, you know, that they're made by their fruits, and I'm looking at the fruit and saying, well, that, that's not too good a fruit. That fruit's kind of rotten. Well, and and I would agree, but let me let me let me pose this to you, Greg. Um, the black church in in our country, and when when I say black church, I do that with tears in my my heart, um, because there shouldn't be a, a, a segregated church. But um, minorities in this country are overwhelmingly Democrat, and there are a whole lot of churches who um, who who had Barack Obama in their church, who had Hillary in their church, and the people there in that church went out and voted for those people. And I think it's just a little bit um, myopic for uh, those of us who are pro-life to say that none of those people are Christians. I can say they're wrong. I can say their position is immoral. I can say their position on abortion certainly displeases God. But I'm sure we have positions on things. Uh, they would look at us and say, well, we're, uh, we're championing a president on the, on the Republican side who is a liar and a narcissist. And you've heard all of the criticisms against our current president. So it's just one of those things that we've got to understand. Um, uh, I would be much harder on somebody. And by the way, I said this, and I want to I reemphasize. Rick Warren is not pro-choice. He's not pro-abortion. Rick Warden is pro-life and has spent a lot of money and gone to a lot of effort with his church uh, for the unborn. Uh, having said that, uh, he just doesn't believe that having divergent points of view, especially around important elections, uh, is something he's willing to give people the information, let, let the spirit in them deal with that information. I agree. In my opinion, I don't know how anybody who loves Jesus Christ could ever cast a vote for somebody who is pro-abortion. On the other hand, it's just as easy for me to say, I don't know how anybody who is pursuing personal holiness, who wants to hold uh, a standard of righteousness, could cast a vote for our current president because his life is anything other than righteous. And what we've done is we've picked our sins as being not as evil as their sins. And I think, Greg, that's where we're missing the point. So again, Rick Warren is pro-life. I want that to be clear. Uh, his doctrine is Orthodox Christian doctrine, uh, and and God has used him to do wonderful things. But um, he has been on. Uh, I'll give you another example. He gets criticized because he's been on TBN a bunch. Um, you know what? I'd go on TBN if they asked me and didn't tell me what to say. 
because if I can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in the gate of hell, I'm going to do that. Well, it just seems that Rick Warren has become such a, a figure, um, a polarizing figure, and there's really no reason for it. Those who are critical of Rick Warren, if they really are Christians themselves, we ought to be praying for Rick Warren. Uh, and, and trusting that God is going to do with him. One of the things I said a, a minute ago I, that I know Rick a little bit, and I've actually heard him say in conversation I was a part of that he just doesn't understand why there's so much opposition against him, and he's really a nice guy. Uh, I hated his book, 40 Days of Purpose. I mean, I hated it. Um, but when you stand in a place with Rick Warren, you come away and you know, you understand that he loves Jesus and God is using him. And uh, Rick would look at you and say, you know, I don't know why he's using me because I'm more messed up than anybody. But God is using him. And I think for that, we ought to be supportive. Greg, thank you very much for the call. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. One of the things, and, and I'm going to make one more comment on this. Um, Christians who are polarizing are rebelling against Jesus' command in his word to as much as it depends on us or as far as it depends on us make peace with all people. I don't have any power to change anybody's mind, but I can be a peacemaker. That doesn't mean compromise. I can be a peacemaker. And what Rick Warren or any other false teacher does, and I'm not putting Rick Warren in the false teacher category, but what the, the other people that our first caller um, mentioned, um, what they do in their churches is between them and God and the people who make up their churches. And believe me, knowing Rick, I am way more concerned about people who sit in Joel Osteen's church or Benny Hinn's church or in Kenneth Copeland's church or uh, any of these radically reformed churches, I'm much more concerned about the message that those people are getting than I am about the message that the people who go to Saddleback uh, Community Church uh, where Rick Warren pastors. So um, we need to be men and women who guard our hearts. If you are on that anti-Rick Warren bandwagon or anti-anybody else bandwagon, if you've personalized it, you've made them your enemy, let me beg you to read 1 Corinthians 13. Not, not because you don't know what it says, but because you don't know how to apply in your own heart what it says. And let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. We who are Christians representing Jesus should not be contrarians. We should not be pot stirrers. We should be known for our love. Again, you can do that without compromising. I can tell Rick I really disagree with him, as Greg pointed out. I would never have somebody, I wouldn't have a politician ever in my church, pro-life or pro-abortion. I would never have a politician in my life. But, but following Jesus doesn't boil down to one issue. We look like the biggest hypocrites in the world, especially with some of the things that are going on in our world right now. Uh, we're guilty. We are guilty. I think that's enough. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Dale. Dale says, "My friends say that God is too loving to let people go to hell, and think that Jesus will reveal Himself to unbelievers before judgment." They are Christians, meaning his friends, and I don't agree with the idea of everyone getting to heaven sounds really good, and he would like to know my thoughts. Dale, um, this question is not all the question you asked, but, but it's a compilation of several that I've been getting um, over the last week. Um, just there's this whole thing again making the rounds online um, and if you spend more time online than you do in your Bibles please stop but this whole idea of universalism God making sure everybody gets to hell I, I, or gets to heaven I actually read a, a paper where somebody said uh, that uh, uh, he's confident that Mahatma Gandhi though he rejected Jesus Christ is, is, is going to find his way to heaven because he was a man of peace and a great man of God he was neither of those things 
Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And while it sounds emotionally satisfying, especially for those of us who have lost people, at my age I lose friends and family members, and it's heart-wrenching to think that they're in eternal torment. Not in hell yet, because the great white throne judgment hasn't happened yet, but in torment, Luke chapter 16. It breaks my heart to know. I have a mother who I can only hope is in heaven. I don't know. I don't have any evidence that she is. And that hurts. But it's supposed to hurt, and it's supposed to hurt enough to fuel us to tell other unbelievers this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, to share our faith continually. And if we don't do that, then them going to hell, at least some of the blood is on us. We're the watchmen of the New Testament times. So that's what we've got to do. And while it's emotionally satisfying to think somehow everybody's going to make it, think about this, Dale, it, it's not satisfying at all because it would mean that everything that Jesus said is a lie. It would mean he's not God. And we'd all be lost. Somebody said to me, well, Pastor Ron, wouldn't you be excited to get to heaven and find everybody there and be happy you were wrong? And the answer is no. Because it would demean and diminish everything Jesus said, everything he stood for. So we really, really need to understand. Jesus said in Luke 16, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. That's a statement of judgment. So it's very important that we take Jesus at his word. And while God offers salvation to everyone, he doesn't force salvation on anyone. I've said this many times. God offers heaven to those who will take it. And those who reject it, he doesn't force them against their will to live in heaven. So that's what hell is. It's separation from God. And everyone getting to heaven would mean nobody gets to heaven. It would mean, actually, Dale, that there is no heaven at all. Let's go to David calling on line one from San Antonio. David, thanks for calling. You're on the air. David, are you there? Oh, we lost David. Sorry, David. Three four ninety five eighty five. He may toll free eight seven seven six three zero K S L R. Let's go to another question while we wait. See if somebody calls back. Seth wants to know how can I counsel friends to help them overcome temptation. Um, Seth, it's Jesus. It's not your job. Your job is to tell them to fall in love with Jesus, to be with Jesus, to walk in the powers of the Spirit. Paul says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Conversely, if you walk in the flesh, then you're going to be given over to flesh. You see, this is a choice that they need to make for themselves. Tell them to stop doing what they're doing that's sin. Tell them Jesus has given them the power that raised him from the dead living in us so we don't have to say yes to temptation. We can say no. But the choice is theirs, so tell them it's about Jesus. One other thing, Seth, when when, when somebody asks you as a friend, and this is a good thing, they consider your walk with the Lord worthy of asking, but when they, they ask you, I'm overcome by temptation, how can I help overcome temptation? Ask them, let me ask a question, how much time are you spending in the Word? The answer is almost always going to be not much. Are you involved in your church? The answer is usually going to be no. I go sometimes, but do you spend much time in prayer? The answer is going to be no. People like that are not going to be able to overcome temptations yet. So all you can do is tell them to get close to Jesus. Hope that helps. Let's go to Daniel on line one. Daniel, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Uh, I was going to ask you a question. Um, I was reading in the Bible, and it says that Uzzah, I think he, when they were taking, they had used some oxen to take the Ark of the God. They were taking it back, and uh, I guess the oxen kind of stumbled, and 
the Bible says that other, I guess he he touched the ark of God, trying to keep it from hitting the ground. Yes. And it says that uh, the Lord struck him dead. Um, now I know that nobody was allowed to touch the ark, um, and I think it was the high priest could only enter the place where the where the ark of God was. I think once mm-hmm. a year, right? Right. Um, so, what was it that? I mean, you know, I don't think Azza meant. I don't think he meant to. I think he meant to do something good. But I know the fact was that I guess he was not a, supposed to touch it, yeah. uh, regardless of whether it would have hit the ground or not. Um, yeah. But I just got to thinking, like, wow, you know, like, I, you know, I got to thinking. You know, the Bible says that that we are the the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, you know, and um, says, I think it says in Corinthians that God will destroy anyone who destroys that temple. Um, but, you know, I got to thinking, I said, man, you know, it, it made me think like, you know, we, as Christians, you know, I think sometimes we don't, uh, maybe we don't, the, you know, the, our, I don't know, it just gave me like a reverence more for the Lord that, you know, <laughs> You know, that, you know, yeah, Daniel, I'm I'm yeah. I'm really glad you said that. I'm I'm glad you used the word reverence because that's the whole point of the story. And you're in good company, you know. If uh, uh, if you remember the story, David uh, was really angry with God when that happened. And you're right; it was a um, meant well, I think, but we can mean well um, and and do the wrong thing. And God was trying to teach his people not only a fear of God and a reverence of God, but but all of them knew, those would be Levites, they knew they had specific instructions um, over and over and over about how the Ark of the Covenant was to be transported. Uh, God went into such a detail that everybody was without excuse. And what this demonstrates is not only a lack of reverence, but a lack of care a lack of preparation and in their enthusiasm you know sometimes we can do the want to do the right thing but if we do it the wrong way then we find ourselves in trouble uh, this is God saying look I've given you instructions Jesus said if you love me will obey me the same principle applies for New Testament believers and they touch the very presence of God now we live under grace they were under law law is unyielding um, grace, um, God is gracious repeatedly, slow to anger. Uh, but in 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 Uzzah's case and the Levites, uh, all they had to do was seek the Lord. They had to go back into the Word, and that's what happened. By the way, when David later brought the the ark back to Jerusalem, and that's his when he was dancing in his underwear type of thing. Um, um, you know, he 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 sought the Lord. Uh, he had a holy fear of God, and God rebuked him and the Levites, and they fixed it. And then God allowed the ark to be transported. But in Uzzah's case, uh, he just happened to be the one who got struck because he was the one who touched it. Uh, but all of them were guilty in Uzzah's death because they simply didn't do what God told them to do the way he told them to do it. Wanting the ark to come back into the city was a great thing. Wanting the ark to be in Jerusalem was a wonderful thing. But we have to do things God's way. Now, why that's so important is because God was painting a picture for you and for me. He knew Jesus would say, if you love me, you will obey me. He knew Jesus said, I'm the only way. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Jesus is the fulfillment of the picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And if we understand that, then we have to approach Jesus with the same reverence, with the same holy fear of God. And the one thing that's happened throughout church history, it started real early in the church, uh, it happens even more so now, is we've lost the fear of God. Jesus becomes our buddy rather than holy God. He is our friend, he said so himself, but he's also a consuming fire of holiness. That's why when Moses saw Jesus in the burning bush, he was told to take off his sandals for the ground that he's standing on is holy ground. And Moses cowered in fear. Israel knew better. They weren't prepared. They weren't careful. And it just shows a complete lack of fear 
of God, and you hit it right on the on the head. That those stories are written to instill in each of us a, a, a whole new level of reverence and fear of God. When I say fear of God, Daniel, and for everybody else in the audience, I don't mean we're shaking because God might strike us dead. But but really, the the thing that we're terrified of is not being with him, not being right with him, not doing things according to his pattern. And God has given his patterns throughout the Bible. He wants to be worshipped a certain way. And when Israel failed to do it, there was always somebody who died as a result. And that was the case for Uzzah. That help you, Daniel? Yeah. Thanks, Pastor. Okay. Have a good weekend. Thank you too. Thank you very, very much. We're inside two minutes. Let me see if I got a two-minute question. Uh, here's one I can answer in two minutes. Mitch says, "Can you tell me what a red-letter Christian is?" I can, Mitch. A red-letter Christian isn't a Christian at all. <laughs> Let me explain. A red-letter Christian refers to those professing Christians who only believe that the words in red in your Bible, the words spoken by Jesus, are inspired. They throw away the rest of the Bible. They have no understanding whatsoever of of the Bible, how it was compiled, um, that it is God's Word. In fact, they deny it. Um, and and they, they kid themselves because uh, they also ignore a whole bunch of what is in red. Well, God is a God of love, and God doesn't judge, and God doesn't this. But they don't read the rest of what Jesus says. So these are people who have fashioned their own religion. Certainly not a relationship, but they fashion their own religion. And they're going to be among those people who, on the day, they all say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. So I hope that helps, Mitch. Thanks very much. Hey, it's been a great week on the program. Um, Go to church this weekend. Be God's arms. Be his heart. Find somebody who looks like they're hurting or needs a little bit of love. And be the one God uses. It'll change your life. May the Lord bless you and keep you, Lord willing. I'll be back Monday. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.